ask you to stand or that we ask you to stand unless the preaching is so good that you can't help yourself but to stand. So, Amen. Thank you. Bless him, Lord. Okay. Matthew 17, beginning with verse 24. How many of you ready for the word of God? The word of God. One word from the Lord will shatter a thousand lies. Matthew 20, uh, 17, 24, reading out of the Amplified Version, when they were going about here and there in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be turned over to the hands of men and they'll kill him and he'll be raised to life again on the third day. And they were deeply and exceedingly grieved and distressed. And when they arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the half shekel, the temple tax, went up to Peter and said, does not your teacher pay the half shekel? And he answered, yes, he does. And when he came home, Jesus spoke to him about it first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly rulers collect tribute? From their own sons or from others not of their family? And Peter answered, well, from other people not of their own family. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, in order not to give offense and cause them to stumble... Go down to the Sea of Galilee and throw in a hook. Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find there a shekel. Take it and give to them to pay the temple tax for me and yourself. Before you're seated this morning, the greatest need in our life post-salvation is an ongoing revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Not information, revelation. We have been saturated in the West. We're spoiled, we're rotten, obese spiritually. Not exercising unto godliness. We've been saturated with information. And we can regurgitate it back without ever having a revelation of who God is. When I help my children with their homework and they're going into fourth or fifth grade next year I think it's fifth fourth one of those Uh, we're fast approaching where only Kelly can help them (laughs) but I tell them I said don't just tell me what the teacher said how did you get there don't regurgitate I understand the importance of memorization but don't just regurgitate what you heard what does that mean how do you get there now go from there backwards And if you'll stand for just a moment more, I want to tell you that what we need in our life is not another message of information, but a revelation. Uh, What Mazzy was talking about, of the resurrected God and to see him as he is, as he proclaims to be. Very quickly, let me tell you the difference between information and revelation. Information informs, revelation transforms. Information touches the mind Revelation touches the spirit. Information gives you light. Revelation gives you life. Information puffs up. Revelation tends to humility. Information changes. Revelation changes you. And information is learned, but revelation is given. It's experienced. Would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning and we submit ourselves to the Lord as both the speaker and the hearer. Oh God, only you can do this. 
Open our eyes, O Lord. Open our spiritual eyes that we might see. That we might see you more clearly. That we might see ourselves more clearly. That we could be like blind Bartimaeus going from darkness to light. We, we do see through a glass darkly. But you can touch our eyes, O Lord. And we would stop seeing men walking like trees. And we would see all things as they are. Give us spiritual vision. Don't let us settle for being able to regurgitate back what some teacher taught or some preacher preached or something we got off of YouTube, but let us speak from the labyrinth of our soul about who God is. The living word living in us and coming out of us for your glory's sake. Give us an experience, not for experience's sake, that we might know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. I grew up playing football. My dad, but back then there wasn't soccer and, you know, synchronized swimming and badminton and the little stick with a streamer on it. You played football. Everybody played football. All the little league. There was one baseball league. Uh, there was. There was just one. If you fit in that age group, you played baseball. And we grew up being taught that baseball was invented for those people who couldn't play football. Uh, I know that's wrong. I was just telling you, how many of y'all grew up with some ideologies that weren't all the, anyway, I was always, and don't you say it, and if you chuckle, I'm going to pray baldness on you. Uh, I'm going to, all you guys, I'm going to pray baldness on you, and everything you lose grows on your wife's lip. I'm going to pray that it all shifts over there. I was... Every year I played the littlest guy on the team. I was five, four, 120 pounds when I, 30, about 130 pounds when I graduated high school. So I was always the littlest guy on the team. And one year I did that jump, you know, where Little League, you have two or three years in one bracket and then you jump up. Well, I jumped up and none of them big guys went up. And I went from the littlest guy on the team to the littlest guy in the league. And I, I, I was good for my size, but, you know, I, I went out into the valley and uh, saw Goliath standing there, you know, and uh, my daddy said, now, baby, you, you're going to get hit in this league. I know I've played three or four years. I was running back, you know, uh, scat back. And I said, I know. And I did my little rhetoric and he said, sugar, you're going to get hit. I, I know, I know, because that's part of, you know, that's when I have the ball and then sometimes you got to watch your blindset. John, he didn't say it, but follow me. You're going to go from information to revelation. So we did double reverse, scat back to little John. I took the reverse. I got just about to the inside and mean Joe Green hit me. And if you don't know who he is, look it up. He spun me around. Y'all know when you're real little and you're playing football, how the helmet was spin on your head. And I was looking out the ear hole. I, I woke up to the coach, he had my strap right here and he's lifting me up like this, trying to get me to breathe. And I didn't say it, but I knew then that I had passed from information to revelation. You gotta have some of those in your life. You, you gotta have some of those where it transcends 
what you know and you say, I was there. I saw it with my eyes. I felt it in my soul. I was there when the Red Sea parted in my life. I was there when he brought me back from the dead. I was there. I see him now as he is. See, when you see the Savior, he redeems you. When you see him as healer, there's a reaching out for his robe. When you see him, revelation, as a a provider, there's a rest that comes to you knowing that I can work, but he's the one that gives the increase. And in this passage, he he was showing Simon several things about himself. And I want to go over just a couple of those with you. And um, bring this to a, a place of maybe you go home and petition the Lord. Say, Lord, just give me a fish. Give me a fish, Lord. I almost titled this Fishing for a Miracle. But that would sound too much like a lot of the prosperity gospel messages. So I didn't title it that way. Let me talk to you just a moment about Christ, our Savior. Christ, in this passage... Christ is eternal. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He became flesh, the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of God, full of grace, full of truth. We handled Him. This Christ is divine, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of Man. He would be sacrificial, offered willingly, offered perfectly, Sufficient, accepted by the Father and satisfying to God. This Christ was exclusive and is exclusive. There are many false Christs, but there is one Jesus Christ the Lord. And there's one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But Christ is often misunderstood and misrepresented by those professing to be disciples. Sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes out of arrogance, sometimes out of immaturity. When the Pharisees approach Simon and says, does, does your rabbi, does your master pay the temple tax? And he said, yeah. What Simon did in that moment was contradict what he said he believed. It was just a little bit before in Matthew when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Simon said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, if that's the case, then why would he pay temple tax? Every Jewish person had a, 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 not just the tithe that they would bring, but, and this is not binding on the church, it was for the Jews. Don't confuse the church with Israel, okay? They each paid a tax every time they came to the temple. See, there were two sacrifices that happened each day and they were all tied towards forgiveness and then once a year the high priest would put the blood in the holy of holies and it would postpone judgment for one more year but this temple tax was for the maintenance and the cleaning up and the preservation of the building itself and the guys that would come in and clean up after the sacrifice and everyone took part in that sacrifice for their sins So Simon, by saying, yes, he pays temple tax, made him like us, needing to pay for his sin. And today, I'm going somewhere, so just stay with me here. We have a lot of people out of ignorance and arrogance and presumption say things about Jesus Christ that are not correct. 
Don't judge them. Oh, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to judge their words because their words bring a humiliation to Jesus that is not necessary. They devalue, they dilute, they pollute, and they misrepresent him. He did not come to pay temple tax. He came to pay for my sins. When Jesus participated in the paying of temple tax, he did it so as to cause men not to stumble, which I'll get to in just a moment. But he was the perfect sacrifice. And see, Simon had information about Jesus. Because he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And God had even, the father had revealed that to him, but it was still lacking something. When you can know something about God on Tuesday and forget it on Friday, something's missing. There's a, there's a disconnect somewhere. We've got to be careful that we don't allow this generation to push us in the corner. Is your Christ uh, LGBTQ affirming? And, and it, of course not. Nor is he adultery affirming, nor is he fornication affirming, nor is he covetousness affirming. No, he's, he's a righteous, holy and pure God. And when we stand up and we say, like Simon, he said, does he pay the temple tax? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we have to be careful. See, revelation doesn't just follow any kind of behavior. God has to correct us. And we have to make sure that the words coming out of our mouth line up with who he is. The Christ of the scripture. Unashamed. Unashamed. Look at him being the gentle shepherd. The collectors of the half shekel went up to Peter and said, does your teacher pay the half shekel? He answered, yes. See, what Simon was doing was he was speaking carnally instead of spiritually. That's why Jesus, I believe, referred to him as Simon. See, Jesus had given him a new name. What was it? Peter. You'd had a rock of revelation. But when he saw Simon reverting back to carnal knowledge only, he didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon. Simon, why, why are you going back on what you knew? Why, why are you changing your profession of faith? I, I saw a, a pastor on uh, Facebook he put out, there was a, what do you call the viral videos, the little things that come up on the feed where he, and I'm going to do my best to quote him as close as I can. I don't have it in front of me, but my, my jaw just dropped open, except for there's so many now that make your jaw drop open that it doesn't drop like it used to, you know? He said, he said, you know, uh, as, as it pertains to, and I'm, I'm speaking about homosexuality again because it's so prevalent so pushed down our throat uh, and it's sin like any other sin except it's a perverse sin but there's a, there's a making God come alongside and here's what he said he did not come out and say God was not righteous he did not come out and say that that was sin or wrong he didn't back off of that here's what he said now when God said he made man and woman and that marriage is between man and woman I would just probably have to ask him, why, why, why would you just limit it to that? Are we missing something? I would have to think that you would consider, or would you reconsider? And there's, you know, when you see something like that, you've seen me do this before, I just back up with a lightning rod. I said, Lord, don't, don't hit me, just hit him. I, I didn't say that. I didn't. 
And it was his way of, if I could talk to God, I would ask him to reconsider. Who do you think you are? Where's the fear of the Lord in you that you could have a conversation with God and God say, you know, maybe you got something there. He says, Simon, and anytime you think or speak or act carnally, which means by the senses, touch, taste, smell, feel, sight, by your natural senses, how we feel around other people. And um, guys, if y'all would turn the air off for just a minute, I got a lady here, she just fell over. She just is blue. It feels good to me, but she, and ladies, I know your blouse is cute, but bring a shawl, bring a quilt, bring something, you know. (laughs) Amen. But Christ, aren't you grateful that he's patient and gentle? And uh, so this, this story has those two parts to it that you need to see. But then Christ knows that what Simon needs is a revelation here. Uh, One that'll seal it. Can I, can I tell you real quickly what one of mine was? And you've heard this before if you've been in this church, but it was the first one that I had that shaped me. It changed everything. When I first gave my life to the Lord and I went into ministry, same year, uh, everybody wore suit and tie then. I'm not saying you should, shouldn't. Everybody did, suit and tie. And ladies wore dresses every Sunday. And I had to wear a suit, uh, coat and tie to the office every day. And when I, when I gave my life to the Lord at 24, I didn't have nothing. I had some concert t-shirts, you know, and uh, jeans all not ripped up fashionable, ripped up because you couldn't afford nothing else, you know, pocket hanging off. And I said, Lord, I need some church clothes up in here. I, I bought me a couple polyester suits. You rub them one way, they one color. You rub them this way, they another color. And when you gain weight, you catch fire. You walking? You ever seen anybody walking with a, a windsuit or some corduroy? And I watched my grandmother catch fire at Westgate Mall. She had on some corduroys and she was. I said, "Stop, drop and roll, nanny! Stop, drop and roll!" Y'all done made me lose my place. What was I telling y'all? I lost my place. Oh, I needed suits. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. So I, I truly went to prayer. I said, Lord, I, I was making $75 a month at the church. I did everything. I drove the bus. I did the grounds, uh, did visitation, new visit. I did 75 a month. And listen, I was so happy to be on the team. It didn't matter, but I didn't have any money. And I said, God, I really need some shirts. And I heard a fellow preach and said, why do why you think you can make it hard for God? Do you know it, when God said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Not only can you not make it too hard, you can't make it hard. Because if you could make it hard, then you could measure difficulty. And if you could measure difficulty, you could increase the difficulty till where it was impossible. So there are no measurements of hard for God. When he preached that, he said, nail it down. Tell the Lord what you need. So I prayed by myself in my little apartment. I said, God, I need some. Uh, the suits are okay, you know. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll make it, but I ain't got no shirts. And Lord, as if he didn't know, I'm 17 and a half, 34, and I'd like white ones. And God, I don't have to have them, but could, could I have pinpoint cotton ones? Those just look nice. That's, 
So you have to understand, see, preachers and Christians turn this into how to get what you want from God. I didn't need shirts. I needed a revelation. Do you see? It's never about the thing. So I prayed about it and I said, so God, I'm asking you for him. And I just believe that you can do this. So fast forward a month, six weeks or so. I don't remember exactly. I go into rescue mission. Y'all remember when the rescue mission was downtown, uh, Pinona near Krispy Kreme? Down back there, y'all, how many been there? Okay, so you'll know, you go through the double doors and you know they could have dead people buried out in here. They could be stacked up in a corner. You know, old metal building, dank, kind of musty. And I'm walking towards the back and all of a sudden, his presence surrounds me. And I'm like, what? what?" You know, I knew it was the Lord and it's just like a beeline. I walked right up to the men's section and there was uh, a rack and I saw all these white shirts and I walked over to them. I'm just going to give you the cliff notes. I, I opened one, 17 and a half, 34. And there was like four or six. I don't remember the number. It's been so long. Uh, probably go back to old tapes and remember, but it, at least 20. So there's six of them. I opened the next plastic bag. Another four to six of them. I opened the third. I'm squalling, squalling. Because see, at this point in time, God has provided. Wait, I got to the last one. One, two, three, four, five. So 24 or so shirts. And the last one had my initials on the pocket. JCW. As the Lord liveth, that happened. I, something shifted in me. I'm like, and I remember out loud, I said, how did you do? So, you know, you know how nice shirts get to the, Rescue mission, don't you? Guys gain weight. They're too small. They don't pick them up. Seriously. They're too small. Just forget it. Just, and, and if the, the place keeps them for a while, and then they donate them to Salvation Army and the rescue mission. So God moved on one guy to take them to one cleaners. And then that cleaner to donate it to rescue mission and keep everybody away from it till I got there. And he said, just so you'll know it's me, John, I'm going to give you this one with your initials on it. And everywhere I tell that story, people will say, did you keep the shirts? I said, nope, they wore out. They got yellow, they frayed. Because once it happens in you, you don't have to have the evidence outside of you no more. Amen. Y'all give the Lord, isn't that the truth? Give the Lord a hand. Number three, Christ, our example, not only our savior, our patient, gentle shepherd, but our example. He said, however, even though I don't have to do this, so we're not going to give offense and cause them to stumble. That is to cause them to judge unfavorably and unjustly. Uh, Go down to the sea and we're going to pay for the temple tax. Christ was setting an example for us is, is that even when you are free to do something, don't cause someone to stumble. Even when you don't have to do something, don't cause someone to stumble. First Corinthians 10 says, for the Christian, give no offense in anything, neither to the Jews, Gentiles, or the church of God. Mark 7 and said, and whosoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, those that believe in me, it's better than a millstone be tied around your neck and you be cast into the sea than to cause someone to stumble. We're in a generation now where Christians use their liberty as license. 
and they don't consider others. And our behavior is unto the Lord, but there's an awareness that uh, someone weaker might stumble at my liberty. And so we who are consecrated live a narrower life, not for the Lord's acceptance. I'm already accepted in the beloved, but for the weakness and frailty of others. Because what you do in limitation, others will do in excess that don't have the carriage or the history that you have with the Lord. If the Lord would participate in a temple tax, not to stumble, shouldn't that modify our life and affect us? I can't go there. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I just, I grieve all the time at what I see online of Christians partying and coming out of the concerts that blaspheme and they post it with all their other Christian friends. And I'm like, and I'm not thinking of an individual. If you want to come talk to me and that's fine. I'm talking about a general malaise to where there's no distinction. How, how can this person who professes, some of them profess satanic worship and the Christian going to go and sing their songs on Saturday and come in and sing how great thou art on Sunday. I remember when I gave my life to the Lord in my early 20s, I was part of a fraternity there. And this is just my story. This is not wanting someone to stumble. I remember it wasn't two weeks later, I got all my SAE jerseys and uh, my little pen and I went to the lodge and I said, I, I need to bring these to you. And they said, what's this? I said, I, I have to de-brother. I, I can't be part of this. Oh, John done got Jesus. John's holy. I said, no, sir, let me tell you what it is. I said, do you remember the last three or four years we would all party till three and four in the morning on Saturday and then we'd come in hungover to the cafeteria at Mercer on Sunday and all the people that partied beside us come in in their church clothes the next day. Like you partied all night long right beside me and then you come in coat and tie the next day having gone to church. I said, I'm not going to be that guy to you. And I lived for myself and this world and the devil with all my heart. I'm going to give Jesus at least that. And I de-brothered. You'd be surprised how many people just hear that one story and want to talk to me about the legalism. And John, God didn't require that of you. No, I required it of me. I can't go where they go. I can't sing what they sing. I can't watch what they watch. I can't do what they do because someone that's watching me where I might know where the tar pits are, won't, and they'll follow. I had someone not too long ago, try, you know, they always call me about, it's so funny. What They call me, I call them the what's wrong with it calls. I just want to know what's so wrong with it. Just, what's so wrong with, and we went round and round and round about drinking. And see, for those of us that were bound by it, destroyed by it, who buried friends because of it, okay? Went on and on and on. And he said, well, we'll just agree to disagree. I said, not a problem. I said, now, may I ask you just a question? He said, sure. I said, so I know the answer, but I want you to tell me. So you're a believer, yeah. spirit-filled believer. Absolutely. Okay. You believe the scriptures? Yeah, absolutely. So if you come into Outback, how many times has Outback made it into? It's not as good as it used to be anyway around here. But, uh, no, it's not. It's, something happened. Somebody died somewhere and passed on. Yeah, it's everywhere. But I said, if you just 
when in doubt back and I'm by myself, no partying, no, uh, no, you know, just a simple dinner. I'm at the bar by myself eating an Alice Springs chicken with my knife, cutting it up. And I've got one tall cold beer. I said, would you lose respect for me? The Lord's listening. He said, yes. I said, that's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you how you should live. I'm telling you that if your choices cause someone else to stumble in their faith, God said it'd be better if a millstone were tied around your neck in the day of judgment and be thrown into the ocean. That's how angry I'm going to be with you. I I don't want to hear that. Who does? Simon was about to realize that he was not only dealing with a Lord that was going to pay for his sin, but a Lord that compensates for others' weaknesses. He was getting multi-layers of of revelation. Now, if you will, if that was one part. And guys, now if we can just turn the fan on. It don't have to be cold, just something blowing. Fat fat melts under lights. Did y'all know that? (laughs) You know that's what sweat is, don't you? Just fat crying. That's That's what sweat is. So just fan. So we can stay alive. Y'all, I tease about this, but if you could watch it from up here, just in one little section, I'll have a lady wrapped up in a blanket, a hoodie, you know, a sleeping bag, and a man beside her going. (laughs) Just at the same time, like, how do I do both? How do I do both? All right. So this is part two. So that's all about Christ. And I want you to, I want you to pan back and put yourself in this situation now. And see, ask yourself honestly, Lord, do I, do I have information about that or do I have revelation about this? Christ, our Lord and God revealed. He showed that he is omnipresent, omniscient and omnipotent at the same time. Keep your Bible open. Look at verse 25. And when Simon came home, I want you to see it in your Bible. Verse 25. He spoke to Peter about it first. Simon didn't even tell him about the conversation he had with him. He goes, hey, Simon, let me talk to you about this. God knows all things before they happen, as they happen, and can connect the dots after they happen. Perfect knowledge. See, we say I know God is omnipresent everywhere at one time. I went ahead and got into omniscience, but omnipresent everywhere at one time. Eyes of the Lord beholding all things. They run to and fro throughout the whole earth just to show himself strong to those whose heart is perfect towards him. When you come into Revelation, said, I know you're watching. I know you see. If we believe that, we wouldn't update God so much in our prayers. I know you know. That covers a lot. I know you've watched. I know you heard. You're everywhere. If God's with you all the time, why aren't you talking to him all during the day? Can you imagine someone being in your car with you and you don't say nothing to him? We know it informationally, but if you had a revelation that God was there, you'd talk to him about the smallest things. You'd talk to him often. You, 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 would, be, you would vocally engage him. And God was saying, you know, just like he did in other places, he said, you think that's something I saw you under the fig tree 
before you even came up here. Simon, I, I saw you talking to them. I know what you were talking about. Omniscient, knowing it all before it happens. And omnipotent, unlimited power in every situation and every time. So I want to back up and I want you to write these down. Omnipresent. Your God is in all places all the time. That, I can't explain that to you except he is. He transcends time. He transcends time. He can walk in. When, when he showed John on the Isle of Patmos what's going to happen in Revelation, he just plucked it out of the future and said, this is what's going to happen. He transcends time. The goal of a message like this is to shatter the illusion of a small God in your mind, a God that you can put in a little box and articulate. He's greater. He's greater. He's, he's beyond my ability to comprehend what little bits I get caused me to realize that all I got to do, it was said earlier, is bring it before him, take it to him, expect from him. He doesn't fit our measuring tools. Omnipresent, everywhere. Omniscient, knowing everything. Omnipotent. Unlimited power in every situation. Immeasurable power. See, we, we think God is like a, a really grown-up us. A bunch, you know, close to what the new age believes. That you ascend, you ascend, and you come into Godhead. That's what we think God's just one of us times a thousand or something. He said, I'm altogether different than you. Altogether separate, altogether holy. Before anything was here, I was here. And I think in the Western church, we've lost our awe of God. That I just don't even want to say anything around you. I just, I just bow my head and my face and I lift my hands to you. And I just, I want you to know that I, I know I don't know all there is to know about you. Don't let me limit the Holy One of Israel. Don't let me limit you with my carnal reasoning. So now this is, I've been waiting all morning to get to this part here. He said, go down to the sea. Now, what did Simon need? Come on. Temple tax. Go down to the sea. Sometimes obeying God Looks like it's like the last place you want to go look for money is the sea. And it seems like God's leading you away from that which you've prayed for, that which you long for, that which you lead. So it's all about testing. And Jesus is orchestrating this. He said, go down to the sea, the last place you'd look for money and throw in a hook. No mention of bait. It doesn't mean they didn't have bait on it. But I think if God would have wanted to say and bait your hook and I, I got to, you know I meditated over this and mulled over it and it's been years ago I preached on this and I just started from scratch yesterday no notes and just reading my bible in front of me I said why just a hook how many of y'all play at fishing like I do how many of y'all are fishermen do you those of you that play at fishing do you understand that if it reflects that's the allure. It's, it's about looking like a minnow or a shad. God knew that the fish that would eat money would also grab a hook. See, 
that omniscience, the knowing, the watching over to being in the presence at the same time. He said, throw in a hook. See, this has more to do with participation than production. The power is not in who is fishing. The power is in the one that sent him to the sea. You see, when you're following the Lord, you've got to make yourself vulnerable. You've got to go to places that look like they're not sufficient. You've got to use a tool that does not pass muster. Everyone that ever seen Simon go to Galilee saw him with his boats and nets and now he's coming with a cane pole and a little hook. He's just going <laughs> just run through the water. He said the first fish that comes up, if our musician would come, please. Why not the second? Why not the sixth? Why not the 13th fish? Watch how it all weaves together. The first fish that comes up. Well, wait a minute. Where do you go fishing? Guys, I, I, in just a second, I want you to cue this video and play it for me. It's about 30, 40 seconds. This is just an aerial view of the Sea of Galilee. Now, let, let this short circuit you. This is not something to grasp. This is something that's supposed to short, like a little kid getting snowed on for the first time. A little baby like 18 months and the snow hits it. You don't need to understand it. You need to experience it. Right? You follow me? 64 square miles of sea. So imagine you, I want you to go here with me, okay? I want you to participate. You got your cane pole with a hook on it. They didn't have these, by the way. They didn't have the open faced or the, you know, bait caster. Imagine you walking down to this with your little pole. Play that for us, guys. The blue stuff's the water, by the way. So take your hook and go grab the first fish you see. Where do you go? It doesn't matter. God's going to get you to the fish and he's going to get the fish to you. If he sends me on a mission to be light or salt or supply or to a career or to a location, Pastor Charles, it's his responsibility to get the fish to me. It's his responsibility. He said, now the first fish that comes up. In those moments, you don't get to ask the why questions. Why not the third? I don't want to do the first fish. What, what, if, what if we modify? God, I want to leave you some room. Let's say within the first seven fish, one of them will have. Don't make allowances for him because you can't make it hard for him. Leave him alone. Let God set the parameters. He said, now in the fish's mouth, you'll find a shekel. In the fish, in his mouth, you will find a shekel. He even knew it was going to be a male fish. 
See, don't let these details get lost on you. 64 square miles. Almost the size of Washington, D.C. And, oh, not only am I going to catch a fish, you've already had someone walk by and drop a coin in or throw it in before I even was sent here. Now, stay with me. I'm tying this together. Abram is taking his boy up the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. Do you remember? And he raises the knife and God speaks from heaven. Don't do it. I know that you love me because you won't withhold your own son from me. And he glanced over and there was a ram caught in the thicket. I like to think that at the same time Abram was coming up this side, God had already sent the ram coming up that side because he was hung in the thicket at the exact moment. You need a revelation that God has already went before you. He has covered what's behind you. He is present with you. And there ought to be a great release when you can say, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know where to put the hook in. All I know is that those that trust the Lord will not be ashamed. Glory to God. I've lived this. I've watched this with my own eyes happen in my life. He said, open the first fish that you catch. His mouth, you'll find a shekel. How did it get there? And how did it happen to be a shekel? How did you know it was a shekel? How is it that it is more than sufficient to meet the need? And how did, why would the fish, instead of regurgitating it, why would he carry it in his mouth the whole time unless you decreed it? Why didn't he spit it out? How did he keep from swallowing it? Anybody else think like this? How long had it been in there? Or did you just speak it into being? Is one way more impressionable than the other to you? I have found that the glory is not being able to explain the miracle, but it's found in anticipating it. To go and make yourself vulnerable. And there's some of you today, you're following God and he's telling you to go fish for a miracle. I got you. In my time, what if it had took him a day or two to fish before he caught one? I don't know how long it took him. We don't, the Bible doesn't say if he just went there and threw the hook in. But So here's Simon fishing. And Jesus said, now I want you to go after you do this and pay the temple tax for me and you. I will be all that you need, Simon, by being all that I am. And in the power of that word, see, all you need is an invitation from God. That's all you need. Simon sees Jesus walking on the water. He said, Lord, if that's you, tell me I can do what you're doing. Just bid me to come. Just tell me I can do it. He said, come on one word, on one word. Simon got out of the boat, stepped on the water and walk to Jesus with one word from God. He was able to do in that moment what he couldn't do before the word. He was able to do that which contradicted the laws of physics. He was able to do what other people would die trying to do. And you don't realize some of you are still standing and others would have died if they'd have went through what you went through. And God preserved you and kept you. 
I'm going to be all that you need, Simon, by being all that I am. Simon, I know you don't have enough for what is required of you today. And I just wonder without answering, I wonder if there's anybody here that does not have enough of what is required of them today. I wonder if there's someone here that doesn't have enough for what is required of them today. Just believe me, God said. I know you don't understand what I'm asking of you and why. Just obey me. I know this contradicts natural reasoning, Simon, but it's intentional. Just follow me. I know what the odds are, how vulnerable you feel and how big the lake is. Go fishing anyways. Throwing the hook is your responsibility, Simon. Putting the fish on the hook is mine. Glory. So here comes this. I just identify with Peter so much. One minute he's saying something profound. He said, thou art the Christ. He goes, Simon, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. And the next minute he's doing something stupid. I, I, just, I just identify with Simon. So here comes Simon. Enter the story with me, okay? We're almost done, but I need you to go there so you can gauge yourself. Here's Simon with his little pole and his hook walking down there. What is he thinking? If I go down there and don't catch a fish, I have a problem. If I go down there and the first fish I, fish I catch doesn't have money, I have a problem. If I go down there and catch a fish and it does have money, but it's not enough for temple tax for Jesus and I, then I have a problem. But if I go down there and the first fish I catch has a shekel in its mouth and there's enough to pay temple tax for Jesus and me, then I have a greater problem because I'm dealing with God Almighty. I'm dealing with God Almighty. So I just picture it this way. You can picture it. I can't wait to get to heaven and do the blockbuster video card. and check them. So Simon's, Simon's walking around. His, I know a good spot. Oh, I don't really need to help the Lord. I don't, just put it in. Just, just walking down the bank, probably like that. Or just popping the bank like a fly fish. Boom! Don't you love it when they hit a top water plug? Boom! And he pulls it up. If he was like me, Ruthann, this is how I'd do it. I'd be like, I'd put him on the bank and I'd I'd be looking. I don't really want to open it because that's the moment of truth. Are you ready? Are you ready for the anchor statement? You know what our greatest fear in life is? We are afraid that God is not who he said he is. That's our greatest fear. Because if he is not who he said he is, then I am lost. But if he is, I need a revelation of that glory and that greatness. So he picks this fish up. Maybe he sees it. Maybe he doesn't. Puts his hand in there. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I just bow at your feet. I just worship you. I just thank you. There's none like you. I, I believe, oh Lord, I believe. And I believe he left the pole. I believe he carried the fish back and the temple tax. I believe he walked up to the guys with the fish and said, uh, I believe he said it straight. Now, 
The Bible doesn't tell us. What I told you about Jesus ain't right. He ain't got to pay the temple tax, but so he wouldn't cause you to stumble. Here's enough for me and him. Anybody that does any kind of fishing knows if you can put your fist in a fish's mouth, you got enough for supper too. And I believe him and Jesus ate that meal. He said, Simon, who do you say that I am? You're God Almighty. I'm not sure what you're facing today. I'm not sure how impossible the odds are. Well, my granddaddy used to tell me I'd be in the boat with him and I'd be up like this. He's a baby, you ain't gonna catch nothing if your pole ain't in the water. You gotta make yourself vulnerable. You gotta believe. And leave the rest of it up to the Lord. He won't fail you. How big can you dream? How how big is your need? How big is the vacuum? Just for point of identification. And we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond and say, Lord, this message was right where I'm at and I'm acknowledging you today. And then I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff to pray over us. Uh, if this is you, if, if this word is for you today, I, I don't have to say how it applied. You know, oh my God, this is what I needed. God, take me from information to revelation today. I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, to show me, give me the faith to believe. If that's you, I want you to come stand around this front. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I'm asking you. Anything. Now I want those in the sanctuary, you believe you've, had, you've got your fish and you're mounted. I want you to come stand with them. A woman with a woman, guy with a guy. Come on, quickly, everybody. Come surround them with prayer. Guys with guys, girls with girls. Now you pray this personal prayer and then Jeff's going to close for us. So y'all just talk to the Lord. Talk to him about this situation. pray as we pray today Father you are an awesome and mighty God Lord show us show us some way Father to understand that you go before us in everything that we do Lord that you prepare a way for us and Father oftentimes we just go we, we try to run out in front of everybody we try to run out first and say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. God, there's a whole lot of I 
in not at all that there's a whole lot of God in things being done. And Lord, you take care of things well before we even get there. You prepare a way for us, Lord. Father, I know that there are plenty of there, there are plenty of uh, stickers that may say that you're my co-pilot, but God, you pilot my path. You lead my direction. And in this present day, God, it's not about just you leading the direction, Father. I pray, give me revival today. Give me that. Give me revelation, Lord. And show me what to do. Lord, there are so many in front today, Father, that are praying for revelation. God, it's my prayer that you just pour your spirit upon them now and show them revelation in the, where they are in this moment, this time. Father, you are not a God of just, of just a, a season. You are God from moment to moment, minute to minute, second to second. And I praise you for that, Lord, because if you weren't that, then there's no way we would be here in this place now falling on our face to you, God. So, Lord, be the God of our path, be the God of our moment, be the God of our minute, be the God of our second. And lead us in a direction and path, Father, that that reveals you to us in a way we've never seen it before, God. And if we have, renew our minds so that we may know who you are better. God, you are working today as you do every day. And God, you heal us and you take us from place to place, from from darkness to light. Continue to just pour that upon us today, God. Manifest yourself in our lives in places we don't even think about you should be. And show us your glory, God. And I pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen and amen.